You are listening to the You Are a Lawyer podcast. I'm Kyla Donano, a 2015 law school graduate. This episode is brought to you by me. <laughs> Seriously, I'm selling merchandise at shopyouarealawyer.com. That's where you can find coffee mugs, sweatshirts, long sleeve and short sleeve t-shirts, where you can advertise that you are a lawyer, or you can simply support the podcast by purchasing some merch. So grab a hoodie for yourself when the air conditioning in the office is just a little bit too cold, or grab a gift for your favorite law student or new lawyer. So support your favorite lawyer's favorite podcaster and visit shopyouarelawyer.com to support the You Are a Lawyer podcast. In episode 49, I am speaking with a real estate risk mitigator and lawyer. This first-generation college and law school graduate found themselves practicing real estate law under unexpected circumstances. Based in San Diego, California, today's guest is Rebecca Larson. So welcome to the podcast, Becca. Well, thank you. (laughs) So would you give a little bit of your background, share that with the audience? Well, let's see. Do you want like the the real story or the always the real story? Acceptable story. <laughs> <laughs> always the real story. Favorite food in story. high school. You know yeah. all of the stuff. I'm Becca. Um, I own Your Home Legal in San Diego. It's a real estate law firm, and I come from a family that I'm the first one to go to college in my immediate family. The only one that left home, left home and went far, far away mm-hmm. multiple times, and. I've always wanted to be a lawyer. And I was actually one of your former guests was told from a very young age that she's going to be a lawyer. She's mm-hmm. going to be a lawyer. She's going to be. A, and I just, I resonated so much with her interview because that's the same. I got the same messaging, you know, yeah. God forbid you're a strong, a strong willed, strong headed woman. That was the default answer, which I'm glad for. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, you're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a lawyer. I didn't even know what that meant when right. I was little. Because it's not like I had a family full of lawyers to compare to say, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to be like Uncle Bob Mm -hmm. or Aunt Jane and be a lawyer. Didn't even know what it meant. But I've wanted to be one since I was little. And once I actually got older and realized like what attorneys do, then I actually did want to be a lawyer. Yeah. Um, And law school was sort of just like the means to an end of being able to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm the oldest of four girls. There's a five year age difference between me and the youngest two, the twins. My parents were normal Midwest. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, you know, normal Midwest people. Yeah. Uh, Worked normal jobs. We did normal things. And then I got the bug to get out. Went to school in central Illinois. I went to Illinois State University and then left and went to Boston for law school. Spent time almost uh, 10 years in DC. And now I'm out in California. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And Yeah. So you had mentioned in your questionnaire that since elementary school, you'd wanted to be a lawyer. That's very early. Yeah. And and I think that's partly driven by the fact that everybody told me that I was going to be one. Mm -hmm. Right. And not, not really realizing what it was or what it meant. And then as you get older, you learn more. And um, my parents went through a pretty, pretty awful divorce when I was between 13 and 15. And I wanted to be a father's rights attorney. Okay. And I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to protect dads when they're getting divorced. So they, you know, they get their kids. I can't remember if this was like my senior year of my senior year of college, or maybe it might've been my first year of law school. Um, I clerked at the Cook County State's attorney's office in their child abuse and neglect department. Mm-hmm. Um, this was on the South side of West side of Chicago. And it was heart 
breaking. And okay. I went home, I was, you know, 20, 21 years old. And I went home crying every single day. Yeah. And I did not have the stomach to deal with, you know, the stress of what happens to kids. And yeah. I think partly because I think back on it now, you know, 15, almost 20 years later. And I think had I had the mentorship to process what I was dealing with in this internship, I might not have turned away from it. And maybe this is because I didn't have legal role models growing up. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't even know who to call. I don't even know who you would call for that. Right. (laughs) Right. Like who do you have these conversations with? And you're in an area where nobody, literally nobody in my circle Mm -hmm. did this. Nobody was attorneys. I didn't know who to ask. So that was sort of like the formation of the real legal stuff was working for Cook County State's Attorney's Office. And that was the first of three different internships that I did with Cook County. But that really sort of cemented me saying, no, I'm not doing family law because I'm not emotionally mature enough to deal with this. Yeah. No, Um, I understand. When I was in law school, I used to go to the 15th JDC, which is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I was working on family law issues but it was helping people file for divorces. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit different. You know, some people would certainly be in there and be upset, but the majority of people were filing. So they were the ones that were looking forward to getting out. Yeah. Um, And family law is really tough. You know, it definitely pulls out a lot of emotions. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like I've always wanted to be a lawyer and then, you know, doing those things sort of helped refine what I was interested in. Mm -hmm. Real estate was a freaking accident. Well, I'm glad you said that because one of my questions was you went to New England School of Law. Yeah. When did you switch into real estate? Like, so you didn't love property law when you were in school, the rule of perpetuities, all of that. Let me tell you. Let me tell you, Kyra. (laughs) My very first class in law school was property. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I don't even remember the name of the case, probably because it was a major trauma for me. I called my dad crying the night before class started because we'd already been given our reading list, like mm-hmm. things that we had to prepare for for class. And the first case that we had to read was that one about the wild animals or animals crossing property lines and people shooting them and like, who, who owns, who owns the deer or whatever. Yeah. Right. And I think it was foxes in that case. And I, <laughs> I remember calling him crying. It was like, I don't understand the words that are on this page. Like, yeah. I, I don't even, I know how to read. I know English. <laughs> I don't understand what I'm reading. And he's like, I don't, I'm like, I don't think I should be here, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, suck it up, suck it up. This is what you've wanted to do forever. Get through it. So I powered yeah. through property and I hated every minute of it, every <laughs> single minute of it. And I, even going through law school, like I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I did yeah. trial, I did moot court in, in undergrad and I loved it. Like trial advocacy stuff was always fun but I really didn't have like a calling to do anything Hmm. other than practice law. And I thought law school was sort of going to help figure out, well, what do you like? What do you want to do? That did not happen for me. No, Um, it doesn't happen for most people. (laughs) I've realized that law school is undergrad for the legal profession. You get to see every possible subject, but you're not focused in on any one thing. Yeah. They don't prep you to actually do Mm -mm. anything, anything. Because you know, like, what did you study in undergrad? Criminal justice and political science. See, would you call yourself a political scientist? No. And I wouldn't either. But then we get out of law school and it's like, I know a little bit about medical malpractice. I know a little, <laughs> I know the word property. I know, yeah. this, right. But you can't say like, it's, it really is a general overview. It's, 
it's kind of crazy that you pay right. so much money to get a broad yeah. view of all the different kinds of law. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was an accident mm-hmm. on property. I remember October, 2008, when the, when the stock market crashed, okay. I remember getting two phone calls. I'm walking down Stewart street in Boston. One was from my dad and one was from my grandma. And both of them, it was like this, it was the sky is falling phone call. Um, yeah. and it was, it was terrifying. It was, it was terrifying. And I graduated in 2009 and I went to like, it is no secret. New England school of law is not a tier one school. Okay. Right. We're like, whatever, tier three, tier four. I don't even know anymore. I was if you're in Boston. Accredited, it's accredited. <laughs> right. And I mean, at this point it doesn't care. I don't, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Right. I knew that I wasn't going into big law. I, did, I had no desire to go into big law. I really wasn't sure if about starting my own firm, but I graduated in, in May of 2009 and moved to a city. I moved from Boston to DC where everybody goes. I mean, everybody that leaves is good. They're going to DC. Mm-hmm. So you're competing for jobs from, you know, people from the big schools and yeah. the people that are in Virginia and DC and Maryland. And there were also no jobs for people mm-hmm. who were not in one of the bigger schools. So I was doing doc review. Like, wow. It was mind numbing work. It was work. It was paying the bills. It actually, and as much as I hated doing it, it set me up for some work that I did a little bit later, but I got a phone call from a friend from school who also moved from Boston to DC. And she says, Hey, I'm going on maternity leave. I need somebody to do real estate closings. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know what that is. It is whatever, whatever it is, is going to be better than what I'm doing. So I'm coming over. So that's, that was how, that was my reintroduction into property. Okay. I was doing real estate closing. So in Virginia, most, most real estate closings go through an attorney's office. Attorneys can do run real estate closings or settlement through their law firm. Um, California, it's different, but that's, that was my introduction to it was reviewing title work, preparing, you know, settlement statements, reviewing loan documents, working with the buyers and the sellers and their real estate agents. And I loved it. Wow. Loved it. <laughs> I, loved, I loved it. Especially when like the crazier things were, the more I liked it. So, mm-hmm. you know, crap showing up on title, they're just like, well, how are we going to fix this? <laughs> you know, working with real estate agents, one of my favorite things, this is like such a stupid technical thing, like where you get to marry estate planning contracts mm-hmm. and real estate all together is when, when were the real estate agents were working with somebody who's selling a property that's in their trust or selling a property with the administrator or the executor of somebody's estate, educating them on how to properly identify them in a contract. Mm-hmm. We could have an entire class on that. Oh, absolutely. But it, I was, mean, just, it was fun. Trying to think about if real estate I think we had real estate as as an elective at our law school once you were maybe a two or three L because for all the law students listening, real estate involves property, you know, the buying of selling of land or buildings that are on land. But outside of that, it gets so diverse. There's so much more. There's so much more. Yeah. Real estate is a gigantic umbrella. Mm -hmm. I mean, even, you know, now there's so much that goes into real estate and I am in like one very small area of real estate. You know, we have the transactional side, the buy and the sell side of real estate. We have land use, Mm -hmm. which encompasses a whole bunch of different stuff. We have the litigation side, you know, enforcing the contract or the disclosures issues. We have landlord tenant work. We have the commercial real estate side, Mm -hmm. which is its own little beast. We have the finance side of it. 
you know, with the lending that's that's tied to the real estate. There's there's so many options in real estate, and it really depends on like what do you like? What do you I like, like and where are you? Because it's very different each state. That, and that's exactly right. Which is when I went from Virginia to California, I was shocked. I was shocked at the difference on how real estate transactions are handled between Virginia and California. And I blissfully did not know the difference until I got here and realized, oh crap, things are done differently here. And so you're right. Like geography makes a big difference in in what goes on in real estate. Yeah. The Um, one thing I remember when you said land use, that made me think of it. That has to do with air rights as well, right? Air rights. Um, California is a big one for view restrictions. So I'm in San okay. Diego. Okay. Um, view restrictions and height restrictions are big, big deals here. Yeah. To anyone who doesn't know, and I know there's a lot of people that listen that aren't even lawyers. They're just interested in career pivots <laughs> and, you know, people changing their minds about things. You can actually restrict the usage of a certain amount of miles above your building, right? So I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, you know, we have two stadiums here. We have the Reds, we have the Bengals. You can't just build a 15-story building right in front of Bengal Stadium so no one can see the river, see across it or whatever. And that was one thing that really stood out to me that I learned. I was like, how can you restrict that? Like, wow, you can really sue about anything here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and talking so. about like going under the ground too, you know, okay, California, yeah. California is, you know, the restrictions up to 500, you know, 500 feet. Okay. Um, the first 500 feet are generally not affected by this, but everything below 500 feet for mineral rights. Um, that's huge, huge. Yeah. Um, where people from, you know, the 1800s, their descendants are still reaping the benefits of mm-hmm. any oil that's being collected from this particular piece of land because somebody did a mineral rights reservation. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff that you can do in real estate. And for me, it was not my career path. Like I had no, I had no inclination or desire to do any real estate, but that's just, that's where I am. And I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love this. And I love the (laughs) transactional side of it too. I litigated for a long time in Virginia. You know, I was in federal court and I did state court work and I really enjoyed it. And then I came out here and I was like, yeah, you know, you, you know, you've got a baby litigating with little kids is not fun being able to to niche down and realize like this is really what I want to do and be able to honor my my personal commitments and the commits to my daughter yeah that makes all the the difference Mm -hmm. it's the best yeah so how long were you doing doc review before your friend went on maternity leave it was probably a year and a half close to two years okay so you were in Virginia for 10 years so you stayed for another eight I was there from 2009 to 2017 And, you know, you guys are not shy about sharing this in the podcast. I did not do well on the Virginia bar. It took me, and that was another reason why I was doing doc review is that all I had to have was a JD Mm -hmm. because it took me four tries to get the Virginia bar under my belt. Yeah. You know, and I'm not going to make excuses. Like I just didn't study well enough, I guess. I I don't really know. There's a lot of stuff that was happening and it's hard. And also that's the other thing, like the bar exams are just hard. (laughs) <laughs> they are like it all comes down to your performance on two days and there's so many different variables like yeah I remember preparing for one exam and I had a panic attack the day before I just could not think about what to pack I was just like mm-hmm. do I want peanut butter do I do I want che-? and these things should not matter but you're just like yeah of all the things else on your mind what can I control here so I don't know what's happening tomorrow right like it's 
it's it's absolutely nuts and then the new push now people are still talking about how do we sit for these eight-hour exams and like breastfeeding mothers don't get special conditions yeah you know if you're a woman and you're menstruating you don't get more bathroom breaks right no you just have to carry around your supplies in a clear plastic bag and be stressed and hope you're not yeah you know like there's so many things that are problematic to this exam that we've been (sighs) having for so long Um, right but the other the other practical application is I mean and I know that there's a push with the uniform bar exam the UBE Mm -hmm. California is I I think hell would probably freeze over before California accepted the UBE (laughs) just gonna put it out there yeah. Probably. But it's so much harder for this profession to move. Mm-hmm. You know, my ex-husband was, he was in the military for a while. And then he was a government contractor that required him to travel six to nine months out of the year. And because I was basically stuck in Virginia, I really didn't have the opportunity to go and travel with him. Yeah. Like if we stayed in Virginia for longer than I think we probably would have because I couldn't go anywhere. And that's something maybe will change where where the legal profession will have some more flexibility. Yes, every state is a little bit different, but the foundations are the same, mm-hmm. which is, I think, why a lot of states have an attorney exam. So I, I took the California bar exam in 2019. And I took the attorney version of it, which thank, thank you. Thank you for offering <laughs> that option because multiple choice tests and I do not get along very well. Yeah. Um, but I took California and I passed it on one try. Which is great. Yeah. Congratulations. Great. Yes, it's great. But I also had at that point, almost 10, I had 10 years of practical experience. Right. And you, you know, still had to pay and take an exam to qualify to show and that you do can the, pass law. And do the background check and yeah. all that stuff. But, you know, you said you had an anxiety attack trying to figure out what you're going to pack for, you know, for lunch for the two days. The difference in test taking, I thought, between being fresh out of law school and having practical experience in the law. Mm-hmm. It was like two totally different experiences. Okay. Um, so saying this to all of the people who are licensed attorneys and want to move somewhere else. And they're like, I don't ever want to take another bar exam again. I said that too. I said that too, which is why it took me two years once we moved to California to do it. <laughs> so I was like, why am I going to put myself through that again? Why yeah. would I do that? Well, because I've wanted to be a lawyer since I was a kid mm-hmm. and I'm going to, put that aside just because I don't want to do something because it's going to be hard. It was really freaking hard, especially when you're working, you've got a kid, you've got a family, you're like, you're, you're working another job. Just do it. Just do it. Do yourself a favor and take the bar exam in the state that you want to go to. Absolutely. And I keep hearing your dad saying, just suck it up. You wanted to do this. And I just want to say, you know, remember Rebecca sharing her story. 12, 15 years into practicing now, right? <laughs> it, I know it felt completely different in the moment when you're like, no, totally. dad, you don't get it. No, 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 no. You don't get it. I, this is terrible. So um, yeah. you always have to realize wherever you are right now is temporary. And if you can see three years down the road, five years down the road, that might help you to get through that exam you have coming up, the bar exam and all those things. Yeah. So, okay. Um, but, you know, listening to that sort of gets me to where I am today. I wanted to have my own law firm basically forever, you know, mm-hmm. for, from the time I was in law school, I wanted to work for myself and I was always too scared. I was, yeah. I don't have enough money. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And then I finally took the leap of faith beginning of last year and did it. And these are things that like, I wish I would have done a decade ago. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. My question that I have here is you own a law firm and you own the real estate business, but your home legal is the real estate law firm. It is all one thing. I, so it's a real estate law firm. I'm not, I don't own a brokerage, like a real estate brokerage. Okay. Okay. I have my real estate license in Virginia just because it's there and it's, it's active. So we're going to keep it. Um, But my law firm is just a law firm. um, And it's specifically for real estate and even more narrowly working on the transactional side, sort of alluded to it at the beginning where we talked about the difference between Virginia and California, where in Virginia, I ran escrow escrow or settlement when you're buying your property, ran that through the law firm. And in California, it's done through an escrow company and a title company. And attorneys are generally not involved in the process at all in California, which is the reason why my law firm exists. Okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. I have not purchased property. So a lot of these terms that you're using, you know, I've certainly heard the word escrow and all these other things, but I find it interesting that a lot of places are brokerages and you had to make the distinction that you're not a brokerage, right? Not <laughs> so, a brokerage. Like yeah. I'm not going to go take my clients to go look at property, right? Okay. Like, that's okay. Not, that's not in my, that's not even like something that I am even remotely interested in doing, but yeah. So real estate law, mine is specifically tailored for the buyers and the sellers in California mm-hmm. when they're buying and selling real estate, because there is a gigantic gap in the services that are provided to either one of those in California on legal protection. Mm-hmm. You know, and I look at where I am in the real estate arena in California is risk mitigation, right? This is risk mitigation and risk management because it doesn't exist. Nobody is really having these types of conversations about the risks and the risks in real estate, whether it's with their contract or the disclosures, um, the conversations that we have about estate planning, California probate fees are insane. Mm -hmm. They're insane. (laughs) I couldn't even imagine because there's the properties are so beautiful, the, you know what I mean? The cost, all of it. I couldn't even. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, you know, we have those types of conversations or, you know, we have the conversation with people who are buying property and they're not married. Mm-hmm. So boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, whatever combination of romantic partner you have, when you're not married in California, there are things that you need to do to protect yourselves. So we have conversations about that or with real estate investors, you know, making sure that their businesses are set up properly. Okay, cool. Yeah. Parent to child transfer. Is that a lot different than a private sale of real estate? Not really. Okay. Um, Just for, you know, clarification, this is a California thing, parent to child transfers. And you're like, well, why does it matter if it's a parent to child transfer? Um, In California, we have a couple of different laws that for property tax purposes, it matters if it's a parent to child transfer. So in California, your property taxes are capped um, at the rate of increase of 2% per year. Um, so your property taxes are never going to go up more than 2% per year unless there's a special assessment in your, you know, your district or whatever. Okay. But in general, statewide, your taxes don't go up more than 2% every year. We have provisions now. Parents can transfer their home to their children and their children get to take advantage of whatever their real estate property tax base was, okay. which is incredibly helpful for people who have owned their property for a long period of time. So that's, that's where parent-child parent child transfer is sort of like a unique thing in California because of the property tax issues with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we facilitate those types of transfers. And sometimes those are done through a purchase where the kids are actually buying the property from mom and dad. Sometimes it's a gift. Okay. Um, private sales, it's sort of akin to private sales because generally they're not going to be using a real estate agent to do that. 
Um, but private sales are a little different in the sense that generally two unrelated people who are buying property and they're not using real estate agents, they found each other. Um, but parent-child transfers, it's specifically to protect the real estate property tax rates, which is okay. not like, it's not a super sexy topic, but because you asked, <laughs> we're going to talk well, about that. <laughs> it jumped out at me when I was doing my research for the recording because my mom is in like a 2000 square foot home. And, you know, I'm from Columbus. I live in Cincinnati. We have family in Columbus, but she doesn't need all the space. And she wants to sell us her home. You know, it's my husband. We have a one and a half year old. And I'm like, I would love it in two years. I'm like, I don't, I don't need it right now. Like, There's yeah. nothing I can do. And she was looking into it. She was like, oh, wow, you're interested. Great. You know, here, let me find. And I'm like, wait, you're trying to give it to me in August. Hold on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just wanted to know, I'm like, maybe you could give it to us now. We could do Airbnb with it. So when I saw a parent to child transfer, it just resonated with me. So, yeah. And, and just, you know, for, I'm going to do the lawyer thing, right? Like these are conversations that these are conversations that you need to have with your tax planner too, mm-hmm. because there may be reasons why you would not want to transfer the property to your children, you yeah. know, because of, you know, income taxes or estate I don't do taxes, right? Like I know enough to say, (laughs) this is out of my, this is out of my zone of expertise, but these are always conversations that you should be having with your tax advisors too, because there are major implications for gifting Mm -hmm. or estate tax or income tax purposes that your, your CPA or your tax advisor needs to be consulted on with. Yeah. Um, And I've never had to say this before and I'm excited I get to say it now. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Nothing that Rebecca is saying is legal advice. You You should always speak to your own lawyer. Rebecca is not your lawyer because you're listening. (laughs) She is not my lawyer. Yes, that's right. I'm not your lawyer. I could be your lawyer (laughs) if you're in California. Um, But yeah, definitely like, and and everything is specific to your own state. I don't Mm -hmm. know if these types of protections are available in other states. If they are, cool. Um, But make sure that you're consulting with a real estate attorney in those states. Mm-hmm. And don't be surprised if it's not even called a parent to child transfer in your state. It could be called right. something completely different. So, yep. Okay, cool. Yep. So, very silly question. Oh, it's not silly. <laughs> Promise. Are you one of the people that celebrates when your client purchases a home? You know, do you hold the banner and say, I got you a home or you're further removed in the paperwork? Nope. And I know why you're asking this because you're in one of the states where attorneys are involved. About half the states in the country attorneys are involved in the process, either because they're running the escrow part where they're like this third party neutral, but there is an attorney in this process. Or like in Illinois, a buyer hires their own attorney, a seller hires their own attorney. Mm. I've got a friend in Connecticut who owns a settlement company and he would be the one that holds the banner, right? That says congratulations. But that's typically not what what I do. I mean, I do celebrate with my clients when they buy and when they sell, but not in that I'm not there at closing. Typically, okay. And this is another weird distinction about California. Typically, the only people that are at the closing are the buyer and the notary okay. just to sign all the papers because the seller has already signed everything. Everything's yeah. sitting with their escrow company, waiting for the buyer to sign their loan documents and the rest of their stuff. Um, but the real estate agents are generally the ones that are doing the celebratory pictures mm-hmm. because they're the ones that are there too. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, but it's not a silly question. Okay, cool. <laughs> so as the owner of a real estate law firm, You mentioned that your day-to-day tasks include networking calls, coaching calls, things like that. What are the coaching calls? So I am a member of a law firm coaching program called How to Manage a Small Law Firm. Very creative name. And I say small, and it means the number of 
owners of the business. The members that are part of this program have businesses that that gen gross revenues are under $100,000 and all the way up to multi-million dollars, like seven, seven figure, okay. right? Three, six, seven or eight figure law mm-hmm. firms, but they're owned by one or maybe two people. Hmm. And the service that I currently have is their foundation program. Plus I have a fractional CEO. So I meet with my CEO once a week, either for, you know, between 30 and 90 minutes where we go through my numbers. If you were in my office and you look to the right, I have my numbers over here where I know exactly how much money I have brought in week by week, how many clients I need to bring in every week, what my quarterly goals are financially. Um, Like I've got my goal for what do I need to close this week? But what we do is he helps me set up what those goals are. So we went through end of last month or middle of last month and went through my budget. Mm-hmm. We did my budget. We, we did my case forecast and my revenue forecasts. Okay. I just got back from New Orleans because we meet every quarter to talk about some part of our business, one of the seven mm-hmm. parts of our business. And the community is one of the most important parts of this program. It's because you're surrounded by other law firm owners across multiple practice areas across the entire country. We've got some, you know, some attorney owners that are in Canada or in the Caribbean. We've got one in the UK. And it's the community of other like-minded law firm owners being together. So those calls I have every week and it's awesome. It is awesome (laughs) because hello, raise your hand unless you got an MBA. And I think even that's a stretch. They don't teach us how to be business owners. We went to law school to be lawyers and even that's kind of a stretch, right? (laughs) Um, But nobody teaches us how to run a business. And for the ones that are going out on their own or thinking about going out on their own, right? A lot of it is trial and error. And we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. The beautiful thing about this program is that the practice advisors that we're working with, these are people that have run very, very successful businesses. Yeah. Um, and they, they get to work with us and they're teaching us how to run a business and how to run a business well and profitable and how to serve our clients better and be happy. <laughs> yeah. Like, and you get to learn from their successes and failures. Right. So. You get the community to lean on when you have questions or, mm-hmm. or whatever, but it's an amazing community. It's a great program. And this is not a commercial and endorsement. Nobody's paying me to say this <laughs> stuff. But like I joined that group in end of 2019, another law firm. And by the end of 2020, I realized this law firm is not for me. And okay. I started my law firm knowing full well that this is an expensive financial commitment, starting a law firm with no money. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to start this business without them. So they're coming with me Yeah, because the accountability that they have, I don't know that I would have gotten to where I am now, uh, you know, a year later without their support and their guidance and all of that. But having a coach, whether it's that coach or another coach, and if you're in a different profession, like there are literally business coaches, they're not all created alike, but there are business coaches for everything. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's so cool to have somebody that's in your corner it actually cares about you and your business and the success of your business. And just someone to help hold you accountable to the goals that you want for your life. Yes. Yeah. So those are my coaching calls. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I just have one last question here. Sure. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience about, you know, the challenges you had as a lawyer moving from Virginia to California and not using that as an excuse to stop practicing or, or whatever? Anything you'd like to share? Hmm. To the attorneys that are listening that want to make a move, but don't want to take another exam, really think twice about shutting yourself off to that opportunity. Mm -hmm. It does suck. It is temporary. Yeah. Right. And look for alternative ways to enter. There's a website that'll tell you what states accept reciprocity. Mm -hmm. So leverage that. 
get the support that you need as a business owner to actually run your business so that you're not an employee of your business. Okay. Like that's a huge thing is like, I did not know how to run a business and I still don't because it's, I'm constantly learning, Mm -hmm. you know, what it is to be a good boss. I have an offshore staffer, you know, what does it mean to be a good boss? How do I know my numbers? Why should you know your numbers? Mm -hmm. So important. I love Um, that part. When you were talking about all your numbers on the wall, like I love having that level of detail about things. This is the first time and I, you know, I ran my business for the first year, not really knowing my numbers. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it was only my first year. Yeah. It's, it's a help. It's a reminder every day of one, what do I want for my life? And what do I want for my daughter? It's motivation because I know what I need to do to get it done. Mm-hmm. And the third part of it is like, if you get overwhelmed by the big part, you know, looking at the end goal, like if you've got a revenue goal of a half a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars, whatever it is. When you break it out like that, it makes it so much more digestible and so mm-hmm. much, so much easier where you're not, you know, worried about, I'm, I'm never going to get there because that's such a huge number, Yeah, which sort of leads to the whole mindset around being a business owner, mm-hmm. uh, which really has nothing to do with being an attorney. No, it just has to do with perspective and you can't eat an elephant in a day. You just have to small bites at a time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, well, thank you so much, Rebecca. I appreciate it. I appreciate it too. Thank you so much, Kyla. <laughs> no problem. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a rating, tell a friend about this episode and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss a new episode. Episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'll see you in two weeks. This is You Are a Lawyer. Bye.